Hello, this is Tom Miller from Solar Review from Bewa RE Solar Systems. Today we've got Dr. Charlie Gay from DOE and the Sunshot Initiative. And Charlie will be wrapping up our 2017 Partner Summit Series. There is a lot to Charlie's presentation. As Boaz, our CEO, put it, it's a bit like drinking from the solar fire hose, but we hope you enjoy it. I'm going to get off the line and let Charlie take over, but Charlie did share his presentation slides if you want to check them out. Just follow the link in the show notes or go to the Solar Review website. Just Google Baywa Review, that's B-A-Y-W-A, R period E period View, Baywa Review, and you can download them there. And please subscribe to the magazine and give us a shout. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, that's it. Here's Dr. Charlie Gang. Thank Boaz and the Baywa team here for the chance to speak today. Uh, my name is Charlie Gay. I've been working in solar for a little more than 43 years now. In the last uh, six months, I've been at the Department of Energy. So I'm really interested in hearing what you think we ought to be doing with taxpayer money uh, and how best we can help the industry uh, continue to grow in scale. Um, what I'm going to cover here today, historically, in the Department of Energy, the solar organization has worked on advanced technologies for photovoltaics and for concentrating solar. Some of you, as you came here, may have driven by Sandia's lab. You can see a power tower there. You can see where the test field is that's used to evaluate concentrating uh, applications. And most of my background happens to have been in uh, photovoltaics although it turns out the work that I did as a graduate student happens to apply directly to how do you make turbines that go with these kinds of systems smaller, more modular, lower cost. I'm going to spend a moment talking about the grid because today much of what we do in the solar group links in with other renewable power activities at the department and also with what's called the Office of Electricity. And the history, as Paul was referencing, back in about 1885, Thomas Edison's assistant, Samuel Insull, invented that notion of the grid where you have a central power plant, wires that send electrons to a, a, a collection of loads. In that case, it was Commonwealth Edison in New York. And the costs that relate to large-scale generation with hydro, wind, uh, large-scale PV power plants all fit into one end of that grid system connected to the transmission network. What uh, Paul talked a lot about and what's increasingly important is down here on the distribution end. So there's a substation or a load center that manages a variety of distributed loads, maybe on commercial industrial buildings, maybe in homes, maybe increasingly uh, important applications related to uh, electric vehicles. What's happening today is the electrons that used to just flow in one direction can flow in two directions. The story that I've used with the folks that are uh, involved with the new administration is we have an infrastructure that we can use more intelligently. It's the uberization of the electrons. They can go two ways. They can match up with loads, load centers that may be predictable. A lot of the work that I spent my early years in solar dealing with in rural villages, microgrids, are now relevant in 
the networked world here in the US and other developed areas. And most of these things in the Internet of Things can be run from a smartphone. So the computing capability that's enabled by having communication protocols, access to the Internet, using wired or Bluetooth wireless type links to get that information in place, those multiple terabytes of data that Paul referenced for Enphase are petabytes of data, millions of gigabytes of data that are now available and handled every day by utilities. So the world that's changed very rapidly here has been enabled by having communications. And where we stand in the energy marketplace is now our customers have choices. When there's a monopoly, there's no choice. Energy independence, self-reliance, the ability to bring electricity where you want it, when you want it, how you want it, the time value, the location value of energy are both highly valued. And increasingly, quantification of those values becomes possible in thinking about the use of the capital asset. A typical utility, roughly speaking, half of their capital is in the power plant and half is in wire. If we can better use the wires intelligently because we have access to information, it makes a big difference in both energy optimization, cost of energy, and consumer choices. So the consumer choice dimension here is vitally important to helping our sales stories, helping have the tools in place. And much of what I'll cover here today talks about tools that are being developed at DOE that I think, hopefully, could help you do your jobs quicker, faster, cheaper. All of this is wrapped in an additional envelope of security. So yesterday, I uh, took the occasion of coming to Albuquerque to spend the day at Sandia and watched as two young folks just out of school hacked some inverters. They weren't in-phase inverters. Paul's done a great job. <clears throat> but other well-known brand name inverters, I almost could have done it myself after watching this roughly 30-second demo of how quick one can hack an inverter. And up in English, without any encryption, pops the username and the password. So a lot of what I've been doing at DOE has been working with guys in the weapons labs who have spent their whole careers worrying about security of weapons and applying the tool sets and the skills to help us when we develop our infrastructure here on the distribution end to not only make a more robust and resilient grid, but to make it ever more secure. This is a slide that I adapted from a, a review. IBM has been heavily involved in integrating information with machine learning that came out of Watson that we all watched win Jeopardy contest. And IBM um, is actively engaged in this data explosion on the grid. These are exponential lines. 
as human beings, we tend to think about things in a linear fashion. What happened last week, but if what happened last week was half as much as is going to happen next week, it's hard to calibrate just how fast these changes are taking place. There's a fun YouTube video that I like to show people. It has a professor at, uh, I think, uh, Colorado State. It's 11 a.m. in the morning. This little glass has some green bacteria in it. And he says, the green bacteria multiply every minute. Between now and 12 noon, when will this glass have half full of bacteria? The answer is one minute before noon. The speed of change that's happening here is important to understand, and it goes back to the mid-1990s with power electronics. Power electronics is everywhere now. Started off heavily with variable speed motor drives. Used to be everything on the grid acted like a, a toaster, a linear load. You put a resistor in there, it sucks power out. Now power electronics talks back to the grid and there's feedback. And that feedback started to be important to the grid operators in the late 1990s, early 2000s. Putting compact fluorescent light bulbs on there, very high frequency switching in order to get the plasma for a fluorescent light, there's feedback. There's a nonlinear response on the grid. So at a high level, because we're now at the big boys table at Thanksgiving, the folks who work in the grid say, you guys are variable. You know, the sun doesn't shine at nighttime, the wind does or doesn't blow. What are we going to do because you muck up our wonderful linear world? The reality is that world started to get mucked up a long time ago with power electronics. Almost everything now on the grid has power electronics in some form that's helping manage the energy. And with the Internet of Things, increasingly, these loops mean that the grid operators actually already know how to deal with variability on the grid. That's very important for everybody here to know because that's one of the pieces of the pushback. You're variable. What are we going to do? <coughs> Automated meter reading, power management units on the grid that fed this data explosion on the grid. Cost reduction in wind and solar have taken off. Heat pumps mean that there's increased opportunities for more uh, uh, nonlinear loads going onto the grid that use electricity. The two big explosions that we're seeing already here, we talked a bit earlier with Paul around storage and the power electronics world itself, the, the sexy sizzle that Paul's team probably wants to be like a, a group of wild horses. And here's Paul Nahi, also known as Bin Hur, steering his team of people around the race course at the forum, trying to keep everybody focused on execution of getting to the next place on the, on the, uh, in the chariot. Well, this world is changing dramatically. So uh, early on, sort of in, the, in this time frame of the 2000s, early uh, innovations in inverters used 
um, uh, various versions of uh, what are called IGBTs, a, a silicon-based integrated circuit device. Power electronics, silicon wide band gap, as folks refer to materials that aren't silicon generally, so silicon carbide, gallium nitride, aluminum nitride, all of which can be fine-tuned to help with the challenge of bidirectional inverters, AC-DC, DC-AC, and can also bring functionality. So the requests about information, knowing what's going on on the grid, shaking hands with a battery, rather than having an entirely separate box to shake hands with a battery, all can be integrated into this next stage of power electronics. And the speed of synergies that are happening here, when we think about uh, autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, the parallels that affect our world in bringing storage to bear will happen even more rapidly because of these new kinds of markets that are coming along. So at DOE, the range of things we do tends to be forward-looking into areas that are uh, potentially going to be important for this rate of change and investing in the technologies that may contribute. So as Paul's trying to manage that uh, team of folks, who's worrying about what can be done pragmatically next? That's a team of folks that largely are funded by the Department of Energy. Oftentimes, folks will ask me, so, Solar's gotten lower in cost, so is wind, gas, nuclear. If I was to plan the grid from the get-go today at today's costs, where would you put solar or wind? And we do that with a term called uh, levelized cost of electricity, LCOE, lowest cost. Oh good, I saw a power purchase agreement that somewhere in years beyond that 2000, 19 model that Paul was talking to, being three cents a kilowatt or 2.9 cents a kilowatt hour, that's a cost. What's the value of that electricity? And as I say, it depends on what time of day, where you are, what else is going on on the grid. Our allies on the grid are on the distribution end of the grid. Half of what we do in PV is on power plants and half of it is in the distribution end. Distribution end is where folks like me who originally put solar on the roof, that was my green flag, hippy dippy tree hugger flag. <coughs> Today you put solar on your roof, I don't need the government. That's the flag. We need to understand I don't need somebody else. I can do it myself. That's the core of the value proposition I think we have here. <clears throat> These are two important touch points. When I, uh, about uh, 2011, about six years ago, the Department of Energy had the SunShot program. SunShot program said we, by 2020 at DOE, we would work to help uh, initiate projects to get to six cents a kilowatt hour. And that was reference, I was pleased somebody from Kansas City was here. It's reference to Kansas City. So it's not the sunniest place, it's not the darkest place, it's Kansas City. <laughs> <coughs> and in 
And today, at power plant size, in Kansas City on a single axis tracker, we're at about seven cents kilowatt hour. Roughly speaking, sort of an installed capital cost of about a dollar watt for that power plant if, as, as a uh, first order uh, frame of reference. That's retail comparison. Wholesale is where the market for electricity is important to understand. That's around three cents a kilowatt hour. So a couple of months ago, I've uh, been at DOE for a while, said we need to raise the high jump bar here. We need to get to, or maybe lower the limbo bar. We need to get to three cents a kilowatt hour. We need that so people can make money. We need to have those technologies in place. And we need that so we can compete with all the other wholesale electricity options that are out there. While we take advantage of having access to markets that are retail markets at residential and commercial levels. <clears throat> so depending on whose analyst report you read, there's about 14 gigawatts of solar installed in the US last year in power plant scale as a reference point around a dollar watt. A couple of themes that are important here. One is, I expect that there will be people starting to think about locating manufacturing to be closer to the market so the capital isn't sitting in a container on a boat for six months, or six weeks, I mean, hopefully not longer than that. Uh, but that there's enough to have a critical mass size of a PV fab you need about a two gigawatt per year fab. And maybe there's enough of a domestic market to seriously think about a fab. This is much more like the construction business, making glass, setting glass plants close to where the customer growth base will be so you minimize time, just in time supply. But today there's about 90 gigawatts of module manufacturing capacity in a world that in aggregate last year was about 70 gigawatts. This roughly 25% overcapacity in terms of being an installer means you ought to be able to continue to count on low prices at least at the module component piece. And it would be hard to justify investing capital when there's that much overcapacity. Of the markets that exist, roughly uh, uh, total, there's about 35 gigawatts installed in the U.S. We, uh, on average across the U.S., 1% of uh, America's electricity comes from solar today. Uh, solar plus wind were accounted for more than 60% of the new electricity added to the grid in the past year. <clears throat> and in places like California, there's about 12 gigawatts installed, or, uh, I'm sorry, 12% of the electricity is, is from solar. Uh, Maui, it's probably close to 40, and it's close to 40 because of storage. So we need to be able to, and uh, Hawaii Electric, uh, we have uh, worked with them on a couple of um, tool sets, one of which is weather modeling using uh, what's called the Gozar satellite, which was launched in November last year, can provide resolution down to about a one kilometer square pixel and can forecast as clouds every afternoon go over Hawaii, 
What will that do to the different locations of load centers on the grid that can enable dispatchable or uh, discretionary choices of demand management related to the power use on the grid? So make better use of the wires. And then on top of that, be able to use more solar because you have some storage. So I'm a solar guy, more solar, tastes great. Uh, and we want to be able to put storage together with better use of the wires because that's going to mean more market for solar. Over the course of time, so this is how much utility scale generating capacity exists in the US. Paul mentioned that the electricity market is about a two to four trillion dollar a year industry. In the last four to five years, there hasn't been a lot of demand for new generation, but what is affecting our market is old power plants coming offline. Things that are now 40 to 50 years old on average, coal burning power plants. Folks work at taking the 40 year life of nuclear power plants and extending that to 60 years because they're already in the 40 to 45 year range. So where the markets are domestically, broadly speaking, if you're a utility, you're paying attention to this. If you're a homeowner, you're thinking, I want to be independent. It's disconnected from this piece of the puzzle. This is the big transmission piece. Largely what we're doing here is the big distribution piece. In our goals to get to three cents a kilowatt hour, we have models around how do we impact residential, commercial, what are the things that we would do to help the entire value chain of the industry. The entire value chain of the solar industry in the US, today the employment is over 260,000 jobs are here in the US in solar. Last year, each week, 1,000 new jobs were added in the solar industry. This is, this is phenomenal. And it's important to have those statistics in mind as folks challenge us around, well, what about those coal miner jobs? Or what about the air conditioner jobs in Michigan? A lot of discussion around you know, a month or more of where do those 700 jobs go? 1,000 brand new jobs are being added every week in this business. So part of my job is to work at being able to quantify those things, but be able to articulate in the elevator pitch what's important here. We have jobs, we have infrastructure, we have a great story for better using what we already have. <coughs> this shows sort of the, the retail pricing trends actually uh, to first order haven't changed a lot over almost two decades of time. <coughs> and I was very pleased that a lot of the things that Paul talked about were also ones I wanted to talk about here and, and things that you asked questions about and none of us talked to each other. So God bless you, Boaz, for actually having us all together. This is an important time that we're all on the same page. So if you have feedback, here, later, track me down, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. But where we fit in the distribution grid fits in with zero energy buildings. Zero energy, and I don't use net zero because there will be a bill every so often. 
it's over time you could get net zero, but if we set this up to say net zero, the customer may think, I'll never see another utility bill in my life. That's not the case. See, it depends on what you did that month. Did you have family visiting from somewhere or were you not there at all? That bill will vary. So I call this zero energy buildings. And part of the organization, there are two parts of, I, I joke with folks at the Department of Energy when I get introduced and they say, you know, explain who the hell you are. I say, I've been in solar longer than the Department of Energy has existed. <laughs> which is true. It used to be the Atomic Energy Commission, but much of what's happened during my lifetime has been we've gone from being the little guy trying to figure out how to make a low-cost solar cell sitting at the big boys table and being relevant to a lot of other stakeholders that are encompassed by the Department of Energy. So all of the work on the grid fits in with a different group in the Department of Energy called the Office of Electricity. If ever any of you have worked at forming a joint venture with somebody, usually looks like company A and company B form daughter company C. Rarely have I ever seen daughter company C succeed and stand on its own because the stakeholders, the old guys like me, the old white guys running company A or B, care about power and control and poor daughter company C. It's Steve Jobs beat out Sony, which had the Walkman, had all of the music, had everything they needed. So that integrated solution we were talking about is really important here for putting the elements together and owning that without trying to force fit some new frame of reference. So I work closely with a set of people that, that are uh, interested in and address building energy use, whether it's at the residential, commercial, industry level. And I also work with peers in the Office of Electricity for the grid. Those are two uh, branch points that have to converge within the government to help maximize the more solar goals we have. <clears throat> so on the building side, we've made some headway of kind of mapping how this uh, could go. So when the designers of new buildings are in engaged in putting those together, they think about energy efficiency, weatherization, dual glazed windows, whatever um, um, interactive controls there may be for um, the Internet of Things to assure that even if they don't yet have solar, they will be ready for solar. So you can connect easily. So the concept of integrating the package that Paul talked about plugs in there. The elements that go into this uh, are uh, sort of being refined as time goes by, minimizing losses from the building, optimizing water use, making the ambiance of the building comfortable, having the kind of feedback uh, loops for assuring quality, having devices in that building that make efficient use of, ready, uh, of energy and are ready for the solar array to connect into that building. And <laughs> this is getting branded as the zero energy ready home. And it's important here because while we're at a home, 
the, the individual that has allowed us into the house has trust. And there are other things we could also offer to help that homeowner or building owner or facility manager better use all kinds of things and the relationship to other components and products that could fit into this envelope can be a part of what's, what's offered for sale, where the business can, can grow. <clears throat> and in the discussions that, this might be a pejorative, a, an example of how to use the word pejorative on a building, <clears throat> all, all, all of these appliances, or almost all these appliances, have power electronics in them. So they're already interacting with the grid and we want to put solar in there. While you're there, there's an opportunity to help optimize what were these choices about. And part of what I wanted to share with you today is some early work on helping provide tools that you could use that would be online that would map to the entire envelope. And it started with a set of experiments in the uh, Department of Energy. We have what's called the Federal Energy Management Program. Fed the government has huge amount of building stock, <coughs> hundreds of thousands of square feet of buildings. The government has been working at being more better stewards of energy and water and creating tools that can enable installation of solar by having resources set up that can help building owners understand what options are available, um, be able to train and educate folks around how can those pieces come together. <clears throat> and there are a series, the Federal Energy Management Program has uh, a, an accredited continuing edu education program that's uh, available every month. It's, uh, there's no charge to participate in this. It's easy to be able to find out what those options are. And there are <coughs> now uh, emerging a set of how do you integrate these pieces. So a lot of us from the solar background uh, years ago, Sandia was the only place that had developed a system sizing model that then became uh, Maui Solar, a sizing design that evolved into PVSYST and a dozen other companion tools for sizing a PV system just to anticipate what amount of energy delivery would happen in a location <coughs> over the course of a year and have some time-related insights about that. <coughs> for the past decade, there's been work to develop an understanding of how could average Joe look at the options that are available because usually average Joe is approached with how about putting solar on your roof you could also approach this and say here are a menu of choices that are available to overall reduce your energy bill which goes to what Paul was talking about if you've got that upfront capital investment that minimizes and becomes a zero energy building, you'll be able to qualify for a higher mortgage level or a lower interest rate on the mortgage. So considering the interaction between multiple different kinds of technologies and being able to run analyses that include, so the duck curve is what happens when the 
PV starts to eat away at the peak during the day. Without the PV here, this is a camel hump. So the <coughs> sizing tool that we put together also includes batteries. So online, pretty soon, and what I'm looking for are a few volunteers who might uh, help me test a web interface tool to this tool that encompasses PV, storage, energy efficiency options across that full menu of all of the appliances with um, the Internet of Things tools. <coughs> and the background behind this, as I said, is a decade old. It started off developing something when Bob Bao showed up at the National Zoo in Washington and has extended through today. There are now, uh, there's now a database of working on this platform that encompasses over a million locations. So we have information now about how you can begin to put all of these pieces together. And it's run by a couple of PhDs at NREL, so it's not user-friendly yet. <laughs> I can, I can be cynical about a lot of things because I have a PhD and so it's no, no, no uh, slur intended for PhDs, but it's not ready for prime time, but it will be soon. And it's a platform that can integrate everything, including water, into the uh, optimization. It's, it, because it started with federal buildings, these were largely like military bases which may have had microgrids, but needed to be capable of withstanding uh, hurricanes, other uh, earthquakes, other kinds of disasters. This is a set of information that's embedded in the background on a database, the only database in DOE that is validated as cyber secure happens to be the database where we've populated this information. So we're way ahead of everybody else on meeting the uh, standards for cybersecurity in that regard. <coughs> and I won't belabor the detail here, but I've, the modeling here that includes impacts of storage, depth of discharge, cycle life, uh, tools for feedback on state of charge, and every utility's rate base, both the demand charge date details as well as the wholesale pricing details are in this database in the background that can allow the tool to be applied to put solar and storage and better use of um, wires of the grid. In the context of all of this that I know you see every day are the, the AHJs, the authorities having jurisdiction, 18,000 different jurisdictions across the U.S. with uh, nearly 3,800 today utilities across all 50 states, all of which have their own way of reading codes and standards or which version of a given code and standard might exist. So one part of what I've been working is making a user interface, a web interface tool that average Joe could look at to see, should I go solar? After me, you'll hear uh, from uh, Vikram Agraval, uh, a uh, recipient of some of our funding to help create those interfaces to find the uh, qualified installers. And I'm pleased to say, it, it, uh, as a testimonial to what Vikram's done, I've gone online to use it 
having lived in a number of different places in my life and know who I would trust to do an installation. There's actually not only a menu of multiple options for installers, but they're also kind of the Yelp of quality that goes with the menu of output from that. And we've been working to make it easier to standardize, partly by shaming people into doing what somebody else uh, maybe in the adjacent area does a whole lot faster. The interface tools to be able to get the permits cut quickly and uh, have them come out. And we did this by way uh, of having a contest. So one of the things I've discovered I could do at DOE, normally it takes six, nine months for a contract to happen. In a world where the exponential rate of change is so rapid, we're not going to be competitive if we follow the old ways of doing things. So in commercialization, small business incubators, and in programs like this, turns out I have prize authority. Part of my life is figuring out where the invisible lines are. Uh, so far, I haven't been electrocuted going over this line. This one is about being able to have prizes. We've done this uh, in the case of commercialization of a new idea from ideation to having a working prototype to 90 days. And it works by having crowdsource problems. So you can go online on a Twitter account that we created and put, I have a problem with X, Y, and Z. There are folks who will respond with their ideas of how to solve those problems, maybe making a new piece of hardware or maybe simplifying a permitting process. And they can make a one to three minute YouTube video and submit it for consideration for funding. We'll seed fund folks who've got good ideas to then take those ideas and incubate them, maybe at a university lab, maybe at a national lab, and bring that forward to a set of investors within three months. So we're going to be doing more of these kinds of prize competitions. And we've done this uh, in pilot form on community solar related initiatives to speed up the time to get uh, cycles of learning to happen and to start to brand or just like Sunshot has become a great brand for what we do in solar at DOE to brand communities or cities that are active so that there can be recognition for what they want to do that sort of gets that seal of approval and we reinforce each other's value proposition here by kind of taking this and then it might help aggregate more customers who want to get branded in a given city as a soul smart city, for example. And we have set up resources, a stat team, a rapid response team to provide assistance uh, that's it's now uh, been uh, worked through in, in 40 states so that you have people available who can give you independent, objective, third-party advice, guidance, feedback on the kind of information that customers are looking for about why they should uh, consider using solar. And I've also been working closely with the Solar Energy Industry Association on codes and standards. Next week, SIA uh, has their first inaugural codes and standards discussion 
which is perfect timing because the new administration is canceling every rule and regulation that might be out there. But we do need some codes and standards so nobody electrocutes themselves or sets their house on fire by dropping a crowbar across the battery. So <coughs> I've uh, been spending time putting together uh, sets of teams who can support the trade association in taking initiatives on codes and standards. And they fall across a whole panorama of categories that have to do uh, somewhat over simplistically here, but whether you're on the, the front end of the meter with the grid or the behind the meter uh, load with a house or a, a building. <coughs> and um, they, there's all kinds of labels, uh, uh, IEC, the um, International um, Electrical uh, Engineering uh, Groups, National Electric Code, Underwriters Labs, who are engaged because we have become a big industry and because we affect the grid and we affect how a, a fire truck responds to a call. One of the kinds of thoughts that I've had is we could even simplify further that user interface to reopt. So there's a Google Earth's map <coughs> you click on, you find where your house is, you don't have to know your zip code. Uh, you don't have to know your latitude and longitude, certainly. And it will come up with, here's, uh, there's actually behind Google Earth is a whole host of 3D data that links back to where's the trees and the chimneys and other things that are used by, you know, Aurora Solar, who was here previously at Baywa Review or Folsom Labs uh, and the like, but also to have tools that when the fire department gets a call, if there is an arc fault that cause something to catch on fire, that there must be like an Uber app for the fire truck driver. So they get in, you know, plus the fire's over there. The shortest way around traffic is to go Route X. And while they're there, they can click on their virtual reality phone headset and see where the disconnect switch is at that place. So that everything that's important can be done faster and being able to speed these kinds of capabilities up and then integrate the tool set that we could help in the government create that everybody could have access to and help enable and form the information that's necessary around codes and standards that each of you undoubtedly have to contend with every day with those 18,000 AHJs. So we have uh, lots of people, most of uh, some of the early um, experience and feedback loop is coming from California with its 12% PV at the moment and the goals to continue to put distributed energy resources basically using the, the big D, the distribution part of the grid more effectively. Uh, similarly, we have work that we're doing on the National Electric Code, UL standards, uh, standards that relate to the, the, the power of the inverters. They're 24 by 7. So even though our solar panel is working when the sun shines, increasingly some of the early data that I've seen of experiments that we've had a uh, chance to run with large-scale installation, three to 400 megawatt size PV installations, but with a number of 
smaller deployed inverters. The response time to bringing voltage stability and frequency control to the grid, as in the early tests, has been faster than the spinning reserve response. Uh, so normally utilities keep stuff spinning. So because the power plants are hot, uh, you can't turn off a nuclear power plant. The biggest problem a nuclear power plant is it's on all the time. It's the opposite, but a worse problem to have than a, a power plant that's PV that at least if you know something about the weather, you have an idea of whether it'll be changing or not. Most combustion power plants fall offline. Any of you have had a chance? I've, I've uh, gone to the California independent system operator, uh, sort of following Johnny Cash on a trek to Folsom, and <laughs> looking at the, the independent system operator in Folsom sees the grid of California. Every time I've been in that control room, an 800 megawatt power plant has fallen offline. So the operators, their insurance policy is, let's keep 15 or 20% stuff spinning just in case. And uh, we have opportunities here if we get folks to value the distributed energy resource that we bring, we, I think, have future possibilities here around being even more relevant to the big G, to the grid operators, because of that distributed mix of power electronics that are part of that integrated solution with the PV generation. Uh, so there's um, feedback that I'm uh, very interested to have as, as you get um, the encounters with various AHJs around what kinds of things would make your lives easier so that we have this information readily accessible. I wanted to share one example of what we did with IBM uh, because it's, uh, and, and uh, uh, I've had a chance to, uh, there's a couple of virtual reality examples. AC electricity is tricky. There's uh, three phase options. So it turns out virtual reality is a great way to understand the grid and you can look through Google uh, glasses and you can see each of the phases as a portion of a line in a different color. You can uh, understand where the load centers are on the map of the deployed infrastructure of the grid. And you can also then map this to weather data. When I was growing up, I grew up on a farm and uh, finding out about weather tomorrow was about as good as it got. And today, when we turn on the TV, if we don't see the next 10-day forecast, we're disappointed that there must be something wrong with those folks who are delivering the weather information. But so much of the loads, the use of energy, relates to weather. And being able to bring weather information together with the electricity load centers and the generation options and leverage machine learning to get the experience that simplifies how the grid works because the grid operator can rely on these kinds of tools for managing all of the independent owners of power plants that have their own power plant on their roof. And in Hawaii, there's a, a project that we supported essentially around the existing uh, meter and 
Paul probably is far, far more articulate about this, but a, a, a donut that clamps around the meter that sends the information to Hawaii Electric. So when the weather patterns are moving across the island, the Hawaiian Electric folks can address and access dispatchable uh, uh, loads uh, or turn them on or off or be able to better optimize how the grid works. So that kind of an island environment actually is a huge testbed opportunity for us to learn from how to run microgrids which have storage, optimized wires, along with what we do with solar. Uh, so in summary here, the, the things that we tend to do uh, historically in solar have been long range and they continue to be engaged with uh, bringing things to the marketplace, things that are beyond what the private sector time horizon can afford to spend money on. We uh, work to accelerate opportunities for new business creation or help existing businesses be able to scale or to have facilities uh, like the outdoor facilities uh, at Sandia here in Albuquerque to try things out uh, behind the fence, have experts who can look at that and have the outcome be consumers have more choices and that that's what's important to our business growth here uh, with uh, the, the kinds of questions that have uh, come our way from the uh, early beachhead teams from the new administration have largely been started with uh, what about that duck curve so you've created all this problem uh, by putting solar on the grid what are you going to do about that and maybe we ought to stop letting solar stuff the, 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 those are my words it hasn't been that blunt but the uh, the ability to be able to articulate the benefits that come with a more robust grid and having a more secure grid and having customer choice and having it be low cost the lowest cost is what comes out of these kinds of programs. So that's what I'm doing with your money. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, we hope you enjoyed this presentation from Dr. Charlie Gay. That wraps up our 2017 Partner Summit Series. If you missed the other speakers, we started off with Enphase CEO Paul Nahi, and he was followed by Vikram Agarwal from Energy Sage. You can find all the presentations over at our website. Just Google Baywa Review. That's B-A-Y-W-A-R period E period View, Baywa Review, and you'll find us. Okay, until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>